Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. Um, anyway, well, here, here's another thing connected to General Assembly. Every year that I've been here, I've had this resolution that I was going to go and bring back the very best part of General Assembly for all of you, and every single year I've forgotten. So this year, um, I want to share with you the best message I heard all week. Um, it was originally preached by Kurt Bottomley, um, the pastor of Fair Oaks Church in, in uh Uh, California and Sacramento. Um, And it's one of these messages that is just for the entire church everywhere. So I'm hoping some other pastors are at least doing what I'm doing, where we've kind of redrafted this and bringing the the content home. Um, So I'm going to share this with you, and I I want you to bear in mind one thing. As I share share this message, Kirk Bottomley is close to 70 years old. He's about to retire and it makes the content of what he shared specifically remarkable, all right? So let me pray for us, and then let's get into a really, really good message. Uh, Father God, we, we adore you. We love you, and that, that's what this worship was about, this marvelous set we just went through. It's, uh, God, it's not about performance or entertainment, but it is simply about giving you the honor and the worship that you are due. And so, God, everything that we have sung we just pray that it would be a sweet incense in your, in your nostrils. And I thank you that, Lord, as we do this, as we worship, God, our hearts wake up. And we remember who you are. And, and, and then in light of that, who we are and what we're here to do. So, Father, we, we just love you. We honor you. We give it all to you. And, Lord, I just think of those who are not with us this morning. Um, Lord, we, we have some folks who are traveling. But, God, um, on our hearts, many of our hearts are folks who are at home and they they can't make it to church. Um, Lord, there are some that we've been praying for their healing. We've been asking you to restore them. And I just think of uh, Barry and Kim right now who are listening to this live stream. And so, so God, even, even as they listen, Barry and Kim, we as a church, we just continue to speak life and healing recovery. We speak over you. We bless you in the name of Jesus, and we ask that God would make you whole. And we just, for everyone else in, in any kind of similar condition, God, we bring them before you as a body. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Don't get many hand claps after prayers. That's nice. Thank you. Um, okay, the Word of God, Psalm 78, verses 4 through 7, a glorious passage of Scripture. Hear with your whole heart this incredible passage. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to all of Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so that the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. They, in turn, will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Y'all, that is a good piece of scripture. Does it, does it stir a little something in you? I mean, I feel called to action before we even dive into it. But there, there is a very clear point to these three, four uh, verses of Scripture 
there is a pressing truth regarding the Christian faith and, and, and you know, every, everything that we're about with Jesus. And it's that the Word of God and our testimonies are meant to be like a relay race, okay? With one generation taking the baton of faith and passing it on to, to the next generation, kind of like relay, uh, relay runners do. And what that means is that the church, what, what all of this is about is just a multi-generational project that is always happening from generation to generation to generation to generation. Now, in that, we suddenly get a real quick course correction in the church. And the course correction is that the church is never about one generation. Now, why do I say that's a course correction? Because when you walk into Christian bookstores, when you, when, when you listen to a lot of the folks that are, you know, promoting this and that, the latest, greatest, next thing in the church, quite often they are telling us that we need to lock onto or we need to focus on one target group. We need to pick our generation and we need to pour the Word of God into them. I think of Rick Warren's great book, and it was a great book, The Purpose Driven Church. Pick your target. Pick who matters most. According to the Word of God, it's never about one generation. It's never just about the tithers, okay, or those that God's raising up into leadership. It's not just about the young and the, ener- uh, the, the energetic. The church is always about every generation at one time, from the cradle to just before the grave, okay? It's about all of us. Now, having said that, the verses I just read to you, they actually do have a bit of a target group, okay? They are talking, at least in part, about children. So I'm going to start off with children. Verse seven, uh, uh, Psalm 78, 4 says this, We must not withhold the word of God from our children, but proclaim it to them. And it's not just our children who are right in front of us today, but even the unborn, meaning every child that ever comes along, we have got to pass the Word of God, this great faith to them, so that they in turn will grow up, they'll take the Word of God, they'll take this great faith, and they will pass it on to the next generation. And the idea here is that every single generation of humanity will know about God's great power, God's mighty acts. Now, Psalm 78 and I just used one word, okay? We both used the word we. So in Psalm 78, when it says we must do this, who do you think in this passage is the we? Okay, now in part, it is all of us, okay? It is every adult. For all, y'all, I hope you have this mindset, but in the church, every one of these kids running around spiritually, they're our kids, right? So we hold that, right? We, when, when we baptize, when we dedicate, we say, look, th- these are our children in a sense. But Psalm 78 is specifically targeting, and don't worry, I'm going to be really kind here, okay, as I dig into this. It's specifically targeting parents, okay? Psalm 78 is in large part about parents, Now, Psalm 78 comes from Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, okay? So Asaph, the writer of Psalm 78, he's actually quoting Deuteronomy 6. So let me read you two verses there. It says, you parents must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today, okay? Repeat them again and again to your children. Okay, exactly when, all right? 
Talk about them when you are at home, when you are on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. So you see, just like Psalm 78, Deuteronomy 6 is saying, look, faith has got to be given to the next generation. So parents, take that baton of faith, hand it to these children so that in your children's lives, the Word of God gets received, it gets absorbed, they grow up into it, they recite it, and they live it so that they grow up and they do exactly what you did to them. So this is one of these things where it, it's just a cycle that is always in motion. And we could ask the question, well, why? Why is this so important? It's so important because God's intention is that everybody in the church is a radically committed believer so that we are all lit up with the gospel so that our kids just like us, they are risk takers. They, they, they are on fire for God. They're wise. They're loving. They're spiritually mature. They are world changers for God. That's God's vision for every generation. It's good stuff, pretty good stuff. So as parents, here's what we have to do, okay? As parents, we have to hear Psalm 78 right off the bat and not hide these truths from our children. And every single person that spent any time in church is saying, now wait a minute, Steve, who in the world would, having the Word of God, who in the world would ever hide the Word of God from their children? That would make us the biggest hypocrites in the world. I think the answer to that is intentionally, very few Christians are going to withhold the Word of God from their kids. But unintentionally, many of us do it. And we do it all the time. Now, here's how we do it. One way we withhold the Word of God from our children is uh, we live too busy lives. Our lives are too busy. We talked about rest last week, you know, and the need to withdraw and, and just be refreshed in God and to slow down and hear His voice. And in this culture, we need to hear that because we're going, 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 going all the time. And sure, there are seasons in our lives where, you know, like soccer practice and baseball practice are, you know, they're happening at the same time and we do a bit more driving and we're a bit more on the go. But for many families, this is how it is all the time. We never stop. We're never at home, you know. And so, so we, we've got to watch the busyness in this world because a busy schedule can just rob us of every opportunity to share the Word of God with our children. Now, another way that we can, we can withhold the Word of God from our children this one hurts a little bit, is being an American, it's just the pursuit of stuff. In the church, do we or do we not get caught up? You know, we can look at the world and go, oh, the world, you know, it's so materialistic. You know, the truth is we get caught up in it. You know, looking to fill our house with all this stuff and pursuing, you know, I mean, this and that. And, you know, it, it's not wrong to have money. We say this, you know, from time to time, but it's the love of money is a problem. And sometimes we can teach our kids that what matters most in this life is to have as much as we can get and, and to fall in love with money. And then there's the third way, and this is the most painful, even for Steve and Jane Keller, but, but it, it, it's also turning a blind eye or even an open eye, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say entertainment, you know, just too much entertainment. We all look around, you know, we see it, I mean, in the malls, 
in the church everywhere else, but, you know, little kids running around with iPhones, you know, and iPads and having seven to eight game systems at home, you know, and it's just, folks, listen, I know we're not Amish, okay? I know we're not Amish. Technology is around us. It's a part of our world. You know, we, we work with it. We integrate with it, but we've technology without careful thought, technology without godly boundaries, it is a problem. It is a problem when technology takes the place and robs us of opportunities to share our faith with our children in a very natural way in our home. It's a problem because at the end of the day, our children need Jesus, not Mario. You know, Mario's cool and all, but our kids need Jesus. So the question to all of us today is the question we ask ourselves is, how's the handoff going in your family? How is the handoff going in my family? Now, it's very quiet in here, and I'm going to tell some of you who don't know why it's so quiet in here, because about half the parents in the room are sweating. And just going, oh my gosh, I feel so overwhelmed by this. I feel so guilty by this. You know, I just, oh, I just feel the pressure of this awesome responsibility. And, you know, and, and, and here it is, this awesome task. And I'm sitting in the pew hearing the words of the pastor. And I don't have the Bible memorized. You know, I, I haven't been to seminary. You know, in our house, we, I, I don't speak King James English to my children. I mean, this is all messed up. And by the way, God bless you if you don't speak King James English to your family. That's, that's not a good thing. But see, we need to relax and not feel condemnation at this and realize what Psalm 78, what Deuteronomy 6, what are they, what are they telling us to do? Not teach our kids biblical Hebrew. But what they're calling us to do is to tell the story. Tell the story of God's mighty acts talk to our kids about the great heroes of the Bible. You know, the Gospels, it's a beautiful story that can just be relayed. Jesus went here, Jesus went there, the parables. You know, the the Ten Commandments, these themes that that just leap out of Scripture. And then also, there's another golden, uh, just a a golden thing we have to share with our kids, and that's our testimony. You know, here's what God did in my life. Here's the thing we prayed about as a family, and God answered that prayer. Just tell the story. Seize every opportunity when the door opens, when the Spirit quickens you to it, and just make sharing Jesus, make praying, make worship a very real part of everyday life. That's what it's calling us to do. To not just have a, okay, our family gets Jesus from 1030 to 12 on a Sunday morning. So in other words, what I'm saying to to us all gently is don't leave it to the church to pass the baton of faith on your kids, okay? Don't also make them wait until adulthood to discover who Jesus Christ is. Now, having said all of that, it adds another awesome responsibility on all of us parents in the room, and it's that we as adults we have to dive into a life of real faith ourselves. You know, we as adults and parents, we need to get discipled. We need to be in the process of growing up in Jesus ourselves. We need to be in a real-life relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you see, so often in the church, we're guilty of talking too much. And again, we need to share the story. We need to proclaim Christ. But sometimes in the church, we talk, 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 And um, we don't end up living what we're talking about real well. 
And that's why discipleship is so beautiful because discipleship is really aimed at how you live, what every day with Jesus is, is all about. And that's what always speaks loudest to our children, are the lives that we live. In other words, our kids are never going to get it if we don't get it first. You can't give to somebody what you don't have to give to them. And so, shocking statement, the church of Jesus Christ, the local church, is not the primary venue for our children's faith. It's the home. And if you doubt that, check out Judaic history, okay? The history of the Jews in the Old Testament. Look at the first, the first church. It happens first in the home, and it's really important. Really important. Now, having said that, all of this makes the local church extremely vital to the faith of our children, the next generation, every generation getting it. The local church becomes very important because parents can't possibly do it by themselves. That, that's one of the reasons why we say, hey, these aren't just their kids. These are all of our kids, but the church has got to play a part. So here's a question now for the church. Uh, how's the faith handoff going in our church family? Make it, make it a little more real. Make it a little bit more corporate. In the church, are we stamping out spiritual hunger in the body of Christ? Are we doing our part to stamp out biblical illiteracy in parents and children? Are, are, are we a place that parents come to grow and they bring their children to grow? Are we that kind of place? And when they come here, are we pouring the Word of God into our parents and into our children? Are we preaching and are we teaching well around here? That's a question we've got to answer as a church, as elders, as leaders, as pastors. But the only thing that, uh, the, the, the only thing, uh, well, let's, I'll phrase it this way. We do more than just preach and teach. We also do something else. We also worship together as, uh, as the body of Christ. So let's go ahead and let's just open up that great big can of worms and that elephant in the, in the room when it comes to worship. Are the generations coming together here to celebrate and worship God well together? How's it going when it comes to the worship life of this church? In this church, at KPC, are we stirring up passion for God among all the generations when we worship? Are we stirring up emotions of repentance and love and gratitude and joy? Because, you know, worship ought to move us. I grew up in a church where worship didn't move us for the first 12 years of my life. Oh my gosh, but here, okay, we're not that church. Are, are we stirring emotions and passions? Are we connecting with every heart when it comes to worship? Do we stand as one body with our hearts and our hands open? Are we one choir singing to the Lord and, and, and enjoying Him as, uh, as, in praise and worship? Are we passing on the baton of God's awesomeness? God's radical generosity. Do we have music that sings to the soul of every person in this room? Everyone who might wander in here. Those are, those are really big questions. Does anyone agree? Big questions, right? Okay, I, I heard a quote recently, and I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't like this quote when I heard it, okay? I like it now because I think it's true. Here's the quote. It says, whoever has the best songs wins each 
generation member. Whoever has the best songs. Now, when I heard that, I thought, you know, that sounds a little carnal, a little surfacy, doesn't quite sound spiritual enough. But as I sat with that quote longer, I realized this. Music can bring a heart before God long before your mind is ready to go there. Okay, I told you the story, my testimony, you know, when I was a kid and I was a rebel, you know, I was in high school and I, man, I was too cool for school, too cool for church, you know, man, I, I was kind of, kind of do my thing. I remember, you know, this little rebel, you know, rebel with absolutely no cause, right? So I'm this little rebel. Every morning, my mother, godly woman, my mother would, we had a little, uh, a little cassette player, she would take one of her Maranatha tapes and she would pop it in there and she would play it. And so I'd be sitting there thinking about, you know, the trouble I'm going to get in or the party I'm going to go to. And I'm sitting there and, and I'm hearing, in my life, Lord, be glorified. And even though I'm thinking all this other stuff, my heartstrings are just being plucked. And it's a great example of worship that connects. You know, God was playing me like a harp and I never knew it. I think my mother knew it, though. I think she knew it. I'm pretty sure she knew what she was doing. All right, so th- this, this really is my story. So do we have great preaching and great teaching, and do we have great worship? And just so we're not all defining great worship ourselves, let me define what great worship is biblically, because Scripture does it for us, okay? Three different passages of Scripture say the same thing. I'm going to pull one of them out, Colossians 3.16. Here is what God calls great worship. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Now, that's teaching and preaching. But also through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That's the biblical definition of great worship. So let me break them down for you, okay? Let's start with psalms. In the Hebrew, the word is psalmoi. Now, listen to what psalmoi means. Psalmoi means biblical songs sung to a stringed instrument. Now, back then, that would have been a harp or a lyre. But today, um, probably the most biblically uh, correct instrument of worship is not the organ, it's not the piano, it's probably the guitar, believe it or not, according to Scripture. That psalmoi, biblical song sung to a stringed instrument. Now, hymns, the word for that from Hebrew is humnoi, And that means new songs. I just said it. New, it is. That's really the definition. Hymns are new songs composed by the church. And I'm going to prove that to you in a minute. Spiritual songs, this is a great one. Odai pneumatikai. And you'll never know whether I pronounce that slowly because I needed to do it phonetically or whether I just wanted you to get it. You'll never know. Uh, Odai pneumatikai, those are extemporaneous Holy Spirit-inspired songs. That's what God defines as great worship. So now stop with that definition and think about our worship wars, okay? Let's think about our worship wars in light of the biblical definition of great worship. You know what worship wars are? These these wars that we have in the church, and and y'all everywhere, all over the church, churches everywhere, these wars that we have where nobody ever wins, okay? Medals of valor are never given out for this, okay? Purple hearts are plenty with worship wars, but no medals of, of, of valor. And he, here's, here's how they go, okay? Worship wars are when someone says, I am so sick 
of praise and worship. Can we go back to the original in the Bible? Can we just go back to hymns, which are the oldest form of worship? Well, here's the thing about hymns. First hymn came about in 1532. Now, yes, by my definition, that feels old, but when you look at history, hymns are really a Johnny-come-lately. You know, 1,200 years after the Bible was canonized, in, in all of human history, hymns are, are, our hymns are really, really, really new. Yeah, but Steve, hymns are the most holy form that there ever was. Well, here's the, here's the thing about a lot of the hymns. Many of the hymns are truly biblical, great theology, scripture, but most of them were set to bar tunes when they first came out. That is a fact if you want. If, so th- that's one side of it. Now, then there's the other side of worship wars. Well, I'm sick of hymns. Praise and worship is what God is blessing now. Well, we just read from Scripture that that's not true. He's blessing all three, okay? He's blessing all three. All three are equally valid and good for for our spiritual nourishment, you know? So in the church, we we really, you know, we we just can't forget. And then, of course, there's old Psalmoy, and nobody fights for Psalmoy anymore, but those tend to be our worship wars. So the bottom line is this. Let me take a drink for this one. I'm going to need it. So the bottom line is... Fairest Lord Jesus is just as anointed as how great thou art, is just as anointed as seek ye first. Ooh, okay, work on that note. Which is just as anointed as draw me close to you, which is just as anointed as Jesus be the center of it all. You know what I just did? I just went through 65 years of church music. That is 65 years of church music. Folks, there's nothing wrong with any or all of those songs. You know where the problem lies when it comes to worship in the church? Right here. Not just Steve Keller. You're part of the right here, okay? The problem is ours. The problem is that each generation tends to fall in love with the music that was fashionable when they came alive in Christ, and then they tend to clutch it like a purse. They tend to clutch it like a purse and insist upon it. And what that does is it makes presenting music to every generation in the church a real challenge. It makes it really, really tough. And it's not just us, by the way. It's, this is churches everywhere. Kirk was talking about this in his church in Sacramento. But see, the bottom line is, it is time for us in the church, when it comes to worship, it's really time for us to get biblical. And, and I'm saying this to me, not just to you. It's really time for us to grow up. And, you know, we, we, we really need to. Because, listen, we cannot afford... We cannot afford to lose the older generation on the altar of new music. Nor can we afford to lose this generation or the next generation on the altar of old music. And and see, it happens all over the place. You know, you you look and you still have some some churches, and they're very few now, but you you still have a few of those churches out there. And and they, they still hold on to their three hymns. You know, and they kind of scatter them abroad in the service. And so you have one in the beginning, you have one in the middle, you have one in the end, and you, you know, you sandwich some stuff in there. You put a creed and a prayer here and the sermon there. But you still have that with, with people in, the, in those churches, half of them going, oh, this is awesome. And the other half going, oh, this is awful. 
Or, or you have churches like ours where, you know, we've embraced that four to five to six song set, and it's kind of like this journey we take in worship, and about half the congregation is going, this is awesome. And then we have folks who are going, this is awful. Because, folks, at the end of the day, it really is all about style, a.k.a. also known as my personal preference. And the danger in the church is we can get so caught up in worship, you know, and sound and all this other stuff. We can get so caught up in that that we miss the bigger picture. And the truth today is that the kingdom of God is among us. The church in so many places, it's on the move. We cannot afford to get hung up in a place like, you know, just in worship styles and miss all of that. You know, we're singing about revival. You know, revival can blow right by you if you got your head down looking at stuff going on in the church. So, so we, we want to get this right. So here's what we're going to do at KPC. Now, some of you have heard this. If you haven't, welcome. We're going to do something about this. Now, the first thing we're going to do is this. We are going to continue as a church to worship the Lord wholeheartedly, okay? We're, we're, that is... That is not a discussion point, okay? That one is settled. You know, and, and part of the reason is that's our call, but we're also charismatics. And, man, the last thing we want to do is dry up around here. I mean, man, we're meant to be wholehearted, and so we're going to do that. We were made for worship. So we're going to worship full tilt. The second thing, though, we're going to do is we are going to start offering two services beginning in September. And the reason, again, we're doing this is because we really want people to connect. We really love folks. And uh, we want to do our part in that. Now, here's when the two services will be. The first one will be at 7. No, I'm kidding. The first one will be, first one will be at 8.30 on Sunday morning, okay? The second one will be at 10.30. And we'll talk about discipleship a little later on. But for now, the two services are 8.30 and 10.30. And here's the 8, 8.30 service, okay? The 8.30 service will be a little bit softer. It's going to be a little bit simpler um, there will be fewer instruments, and we're going to feature the choir quite often. At the service, we're going to sing hymns, spiritual songs, and some praise and worship that is very familiar to everybody, okay? You can also count in the first service on there being a traditional element. You know, don't be surprised or shocked if you find a creed. You know, if you find the Lord's, the, uh, uh, the Lord's Prayer, something like that, we're, we're going to fold. We're not going to go crazy with that stuff, but we're going to fold intentionally some of that in there. Now, the 1030 service is going to be very much like what you experienced today, except we're going to drop trying to blend it, okay? We, we said a while back, man, blended service is not working. Um, so we're not going to do that. But listen, both services will be unapologetically charismatic. Um, both services are going to have more time for prayer, more time for ministry, more time for, for testimonies. Both services will feature the same sermon, um, live, by the way, because I know satellite stuff is real big, live sermons. And both of these sermons will, will, uh, services will probably start out small. They're probably both going to be kind of small, but they'll grow, and they're both really going to be awesome, okay? So that, that we're doing the, uh, our part with that. And again, it's all because we want to have a heart for every generation, as a church. It's really important to us. So, having said all that, let me end with this. We are going to have uh, some prayer folks come up. If you have a need, anything we can pray with you about, we would love to pray with you. There'll be folks stationed up here, uh, and while they're making their way up, I just want to pray for us. So, can y'all handle a prayer? Just a few, I mean, we are so good on time. I'm going to pray for us, okay? 
God, in Jesus' name, we rejoice in the family of God. I thank you, Lord, that when I look out today and I looked out early and saw all these sweet little kids running around, we are all the family of God. Every one of us is a part of it. And I thank you that it is so important that every heart comes alive in Jesus Christ. Lord, that that every person has an opportunity to hear the word of God, to to be exposed to the salvation of Jesus Christ and, and just the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God, we just ask that you would make us a church where our teaching and our preaching, our proclamation, our worship, even the, the, the service that we talked about, Lord, with folks going out, that, God, we would be a church that is just fully alive in every possible way. God, I bless, I bless those who have gone before me. I bless the older generation in this church. Father, I thank you for their wisdom. I thank you for the courage it took them to found this church. Lord, the, the leadership, everything they poured in to make KPC home. And I thank you that this is their home. Father, I, I thank you for all the folks who are so well plugged in now and, and God are, are, are a part in so many different ways. God, we just want to bless those families today. These young adults, the, these midlifers like my wife and I. And God, I want to be really careful today just to pray for those who have come in here for the first time. God, I thank you, Lord, even for those that are looking for a place to call spiritual home. Lord, I ask you to just draw them, to bless them. Father, to show them where you would have them put down roots and to grow. Lord, we bless every generation of KPC today in the name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the glorious handoff of faith that's going on around here. Be glorified. Lord, light us up like a spotlight, like a lighthouse for this community. And just do it in every other church in Hampton Roads, in Jesus' name. We love you. We honor you. We bless you. We thank you for this incredible ministry you've given us of making Jesus known to our children, to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and have a wonderful Sunday. You're beautiful. We love you. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.